The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open with me, uh, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. This Sunday before Christmas, we'll take a break from our Exodus series and we'll look at Matthew together. Um, I so appreciate... um, I so appreciate the prayer for I'm sorry if you're here as a guest I'm so sorry because this is not how we typically do things but uh, many of you have heard many of you may not have heard but um, this past Monday night my older sister who also is named Lana uh, she's never been married Lana Ogle so there's two Lana Ogles out there you thought one was enough, but uh, there are two. This past Monday night, um, she was attacked, and uh, we don't know exactly why or, or who did it or, or how that happened, but um, she has not regained consciousness. She is, uh, she's still in the hospital. She's on life support at this, this moment, and um, she has uh, a very, very, very severe uh, brain injury, and um, uh, we're, we're just waiting we're just praying and waiting. Uh, the last thing you want to do is come stand before people and talk. Because I don't want to be emotional. I, I don't want to play on the emotion that could come with this season. I don't want you to see or be manipulated in any way by that. But I, I want you to know, I told Randy uh, this morning, I think that the joy of Christmas has come home more this Christmas to me than ever. If you, if you don't hear anything else I say, hear me say to you that without the gospel, I, I, don't, I don't know, I, I don't know I don't know how we would go forward. I don't know how I would function. I don't know how mom and dad would, would, would deal with what they're dealing with without the gospel. So this morning, if, if you'll indulge me, I, I want to look at Matthew 1 and part of verse, chapter 2. And I, I want us to look at the gift of Jesus. And, and I have preached this sermon before. I'll just tell you, I, I've preached this sermon before. I haven't had a lot of time this week, or I haven't had a lot of clarity of thought. But I want to preach out of the overflow of this passage, if you'll indulge me this morning. When we get gifts, and we'll open gifts in the next few days, and we'll, say, we'll have all sorts of responses to those gifts. And I think all of those could be applied in some way or another to the response to Jesus as the gift. So I want us to walk through this and look at Jesus as the gift because nothing compares. I'm telling you, standing here today, over 30 years of walking with the Lord, now 20 years plus in ministry, I can tell you there is nothing that compares 
with the gift of Christ. One of the reactions that you may hear uh, from, maybe you hope to be able to, to give when you open a gift is, oh, it's too much. Uh, maybe you're hoping that someone will get you that thing and you say, oh, it's too much, and you don't mean that it's too much because you really want to keep it. <laughs> but you're hoping that you'll be able to have that reaction. Well, well it's one of the reactions that we'll have, and I want to tell you that in, in, in so many ways can that reaction be said and meant about Christ. Matthew 1, let's read Matthew 1, 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon." And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ." So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon, from, from Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. What a great way to start out a book with a list of names. This is that section, like so many other sections of the Bible, when you've got your daily reading plan, you sort of think, oh, I can skip over a lot today. This won't take me much time today. And don't tell me you have those thoughts because I have those thoughts, and if, I, I think you have them as well. There are some sections we just come to and we say, I don't know about all those names. Why would Matthew start a book like this? Well, it's important that Matthew start a book like this. There's truth for us to be, to, to be gleaned from this, this list of names today. Matthew here is writing his book, and he's wanting to prove that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. When Luke writes his book, he also gives a genealogy, but Luke is, is writing more from Mary's side, and he's writing to be more literal, and he's, and he's you know, wanting to, to be exhaustive in his approach. Matthew is here writing a list of names that may differ from Luke's in, in, in some ways, but he's doing so because he has a point that he's trying to make. He's going to compress periods of history as if it looks like... You, it goes from this guy to this guy, and, and nothing happens in between. But he's doing so so that he can show that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. 
Well, if Jesus is the Messiah, you would expect that the list of names in his family tree would be a regal list of names. That there would be some very, very important people on that list. And there are some important people, but there are some on that list that are not so important. Abraham, very important name in Jewish history, but Abraham himself, if we look through the life of Abraham, Abraham was a liar. He wasn't a constant liar, but he was a liar nonetheless. He, he wasn't just someone who told a lie every now and then. He was a liar. He gave his wife to Pharaoh to save his own skin. This is not a man that we would admire. If this happened in today, we would say, it's not a man. What man treats his wife that way? Isaac is also in this list. Isaac was a liar also. Isaac was a glutton. Jacob is in this list. Jacob was a con artist. He tricked his brother out of his inheritance. Judah is on this list. Judah is among the brothers who sold his brother into slavery. Judah also solicited a prostitute, not realizing that it was his daughter-in-law posing as a prostitute. Perez and Zerah were the children of that union. They were born out of wedlock. They were the illegitimate children of an incestuous relationship. Tamar is is, uh, here in this list of names given by Matthew, and she is a woman. And in today's day, that wouldn't matter much. We wouldn't stop and say, well, that's, that's interesting. But in that day, to include a woman in an ancestry would be unheard of. Not only is she a woman, but she is a Gentile to be included in this list of names that led to the Savior, that led to the Messiah, is, is almost, I mean, it's just, it's unthinkable. Tamar deceived her father-in-law by pretending to be a prostitute. Rahab is on that list. She, too, is a woman, and she was a Gentile, and she was indeed a prostitute. She's the one who helped to hide the, the spies when they went into the land. Ruth is on this list. Ruth is a woman, and she is a Moabite woman. She's a widow Moabite woman who would have been outside and she would have been thought to be nobody, forgotten. She was a woman of poverty who didn't know where her next meal was coming from. She's on this list. David is on this list. We might expect David to be on this list, but we forget that David's life was not all that stellar. He's said to be a man after God's own heart, but at the same time, he was a man of sin. Many people look at the stories of David and they think David's life teaches us great lessons that if we'll just act like David and be like David that everything will be okay. And we'll slay all the giants in our life and all of that. And and the point of David was never to point to David. It was to point to Christ. David was an adulterer and a murderer. He saw a woman bathing from his rooftop balcony and he, he looked down and he was just overcome with lust and he had to have her and he brought her and committed adultery with her. And then when there was an additional package with that, she sent and had her husband brought from the battle and had him brought and tried to intoxicate him and get him to go and go home to his wife. And when he wouldn't do that because he was loyal to his king and to his God, David himself had him murdered. He had him put in the front lines and then commanded the army to pull back and leave him exposed and let him, be, let him be killed in battle. Solomon is in this list. Solomon was the product of adultery between David and Bathsheba. 
he was worldly. He had multiple wives. Rehoboam is in this list in 2 Chronicles 12, 14. He did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Rehoboam is the first king to really oppress the Israelites, to, to oppress the people of God. His hunger for, for money and power caused the kingdom to divide. Joram is in this list. Joram brought Baal worship to Judah. Uzziah is here, perhaps the greatest king outside of David and Saul in Israel's history, but Uzziah was a leper all of his, well, to, at the end of his life. When he didn't respect or revere or he made light of the holiness of God, his punishment was to be a leper. Ahaz is on this list. Ahaz was particularly evil. He was an, an idolatrous king who placed a pagan altar in the temple itself. He even sacrificed his own sons to idols. Manasseh is on this list. Manasseh is one of the kings that led Israel to worship idols for 55 years. Shealtiel is on this list. Shealtiel was the governor in the exile, but he was a prisoner. He was, not, he was not a free man. He was a prisoner. Abiud is on this list. Abiud through Jacob. As we round out this list, we don't know much about them. They're, they seem to be forgotten. We just don't know who they are or what they did or all, what, what, why are they here. But it's interesting that God, when everyone else had forgotten them, God remembered them. And God honored them by placing them into the family tree and the lineage of Jesus. Joseph and Mary are the very parents of Jesus they are young, they are ordinary, they are poor, they are unknown. Yet they are in the family tree. They are the, the parents of, the earthly parents of the most important man who would ever be born, ever walk this planet. You say, why, why do you tell us all that? Why are you pointing out all the, all the dysfunction in this family? Because it's just like God to look at families with dysfunction, look at people with dysfunction, to look at people who are sinners and say, you don't deserve to be near me, but I want to bring you close. See, just as it doesn't seem right that any of these, once we look at their lives and see the grime and the grit and the sin of their lives, it doesn't make any sense that they are in this list, but neither does it make any sense that you and I, as believers in Christ, can be called the children of God. We've been called the brothers of Christ. He is our elder brother. It doesn't make sense because you know you and I know me. One of the things that I've had to deal with in these last few days, all this week, in, in wrestling with what my sister has endured and wondering what is going on in, in her mind. Does, is she thinking now? Is she, is she able to hear? Is, I, I've, I've, one of the things I've wrestled with is the fact that for years, my sister is 43 now, and for years my sister has had a, a problem with drugs drugs and alcohol. She has, she has been wayward for um, over half her life. And uh, there came a point several years back where as her brother and we were having kids, my kids were young, we would go home and, and uh, she's, she would be there and, and uh, she would become very obscene uh, in the way that she would talk and she would, she would just become very, very inappropriate. She would, she would bring alcohol and these things into the house and, and it reached a point where I was just sick of it and I saw how it was just destroying my, my mom and dad and, 
And there was a point that I walked away from my sister. And one of the things that I've had to, to wrestle with this week is just uh, the guilt of thinking that she was bad enough that she didn't deserve grace. But if I've learned anything this week, it's that neither do I. None of us deserve to be on this list. None of us deserve to be here, to hear the gospel, to be able to sing the songs that we sing, to bring praise to our God. Outside of the gospel and outside of His grace, we would still be hell-bound in our race, running from Him. But in His grace, He stopped us in our tracks, opened our eyes and our mind to Him, showed us our own sin and caused us to be repulsed by it and led us to repent and believe. We would never have done that outside of the grace of God. Write my name among those who are liars and gluttons and con artists and and selling brothers and sisters into slavery and write my name in all of those. Write your name in all of those. When we come to the Christmas season and we we come to the tables in just a minute, oh, I pray that, that before you get out of this season that you would get past the, oh, that's a nice sweater. Oh, I needed that. I pray that you'd see Jesus and you would say, He's too much. He's too much. But instead of pushing him away and saying, I don't deserve to be in this list, rather receive his grace. He's not offering himself to you because he doesn't know those things about you. He's not offering himself to you because you gave him something and he feels obligated. He's offering Himself and the Gospel and grace to you in spite of you. He's too much. Thank Him for His grace. Another reaction that you may hear or or may express in opening a gift this Christmas season is, oh, it's one of a kind. Someone may say to you, they're particularly proud of the gift that they gave you. It's one of a kind, you know. It's a special gift. I went to great lengths to to give you this. In verses 18 through 20, read that with me. Just follow along as I read verses 18 through 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I did a little research, and I looked over the course of history, and I I went to see some of the, the amazing births that have happened in human history. September 24, 2009, an Indonesian woman gave birth to a 19 pound baby. Yeah, and all the women in the room, (laughs) you know. Heaviest baby ever, 1979 in Ohio, was 23 pounds, 12 ounces. 
Now get this, the mother was seven foot five. The lightest baby ever in 2007 in Miami was 10 ounces. 1974, there were septuplets, which is six, born to a, a, one, one lady. The odds of that are one in 4.7 billion. Uh, but believe it or not, that's not the, uh, the most babies ever born to one woman in one pregnancy. 15th century, there was a woman who gave birth to 11. 11 children. Isaac, um, we read in Scripture, if we look past outside of secular history, we look into biblical history, Isaac is a pretty amazing birth as well. Isaac was born to Sarah, who was barren, and she was almost 100 years old. It's a pretty amazing birth, isn't it? But you know, you look at you look at the heaviest baby, you look at the lightest baby, you look at the most babies, you look at the seemingly most miraculous baby, and none of them compare to this baby. Jesus born to a virgin. That's the miracle. That's what's miraculous here. This doesn't happen. I mean, I heard Matt Chandler talk in, in, in a sermon that we listened to on Wednesday night back here, and, and uh, he, he talked about how he's been in the birth room for all of his children. So was I. Both of my children born. I was there in the room for that. Nobody, no cameras rushed in. No, no, no reporters from the paper, no TV stations came and said, tell us, how did this happen? Because everybody knows how it happened. Everybody understands the biology there that happens. But with Jesus, there's none of that that can be pointed to. Joseph is the father, but he's the stepfather because the father is the Holy Spirit. He's one of a kind. Without the virgin birth, Jesus could not have both fully been God and fully man. He would never have been able to atone for the world's sin. If he's, if he's not human, then how could he enter into our plight? How could he stand before God and represent us? Without the virgin birth, if he come through some means other than human birth with no human parents, he would never have been able to identify with us in our struggle. I'm so thankful. I'll get to this in, in a minute more, but I'm so thankful that we have a God who came near. Typical responses to the, the gift of Jesus when they hear of this virgin birth, they say, ah, psh, you can't prove that. I can't see it, therefore I'm never going to believe it. Another response to the virgin birth is that they would get so enamored with the virgin birth itself that they miss the baby Jesus. And they begin to celebrate other things like Mary and the other things that are here and around the virgin birth. Other response may be to go overboard to try to prove it. But the reality is some things, particularly in the way that God has revealed himself, he's given us plenty of evidence, but some things just have to be received on faith. He's one of a kind. Jesus is like no other. In verse 21 
One of the things that you may hear when someone opens a, a gift is, oh, it's just what I needed. Well, verse 21 says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What gift could you receive that you need more than that? We will go and we will celebrate Christmas like many of you with family, and we will go and we will sit around the tree, and, and while things may be different this year, it will be, some things will be the same. And I remember some years back, uh, my dad is one who's always been hard to shop for. My dad is a very simple man. He's a hardworking man. He was a blue-collar man all of his life, worked almost 40 years for uh, Alcoa Aluminum, driving a forklift, and he was always someone that was just... And I never saw my dad sit down and watch a TV show. Uh, even when he would watch a Tennessee football game, he would, he would have the TV on, but he would have the radio beside him listening to those commentators because he just didn't trust the commentators that worked for whoever that TV station was. You know, That's my dad. And every year at Christmas, we'd get him something, and the reaction would simply be, oh, mm. You know, my dad would grunt a lot, you know. And one day, we, we just, before Christmas, we decided, oh, my dad, all he ever does is he works, or he works in the garden or the yard, or he works on cars. That's all he ever does. And so one day, I'm in Walmart, and it hit me. He does not need another shirt. He does not need all these things that we would get him every year that he would grunt about. I said, this is the perfect gift. And I bought him a case of motor oil. And I wrapped up this box, and I had it under the tree. And when he went to pull it out from under the tree, he said, that's, that's kind of heavy. You know, I said, yeah, it is. And I just sat back, and I just grinned and waited. And when he opened the gift, first time in my life, my dad saw castor oil. And he said, well, there's something I can use. When we read in verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. The reaction ought to be, oh, that's something I can use. I mean, I can think this year of a lot of things I want. I can think of very few things that I need. Salvation is man's greatest need. As my sister today lays in that neuro ICU, they're on life support from being attacked. This brings me hope. I don't know at this point whether my sister truly believed. I know my sister made a profession of faith. I know she was baptized as a child. I know all those things, but I don't know if she truly believed. But here's what I do know. I do know that if she did... All of her history has been paid for. All of those choices to run after something else to satisfy her have been covered and paid for. And you may be sitting here today saying, I've done too much. You don't know what I've done. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what I know or what you know. The sacrifice of the only righteous man who has ever lived, who was also God, who died willingly in your place if you would simply receive the gift of salvation, says, it's enough. On the cross when he cried, it is finished. He was speaking of the paying for the sins of all who would ever believe. So if today you would turn from your sin, trust the Lord, you can be saved from your sins today.
One of the things I'm, I'm also particularly given hope by in this, verse 21, he will save his people from their sins, is that yes, he died there on the cross to atone for my sins and for the sins of all who'd ever believe, but he also died and was placed into a tomb and was raised again so that one day he will come and he will save us forever from the presence of sin. That today, when I, when I stand here and my mind keeps wandering back and forth, who did this? Who could ever do this to my sister? Why would they want to do this? There's coming a day when all of that will be put away. There will be no more evil. Just yesterday, those two police officers in New York City gunned down by a man who wanted to get revenge. All of that one day is going to be put away. Christmas should also cause us to long for that day. He will save His people from their sins. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Jesus is just what we need. Another reaction, I'll I'll hurry up as we walk through this. Uh, Another reaction that you might hear. Oh, it's like nothing I've ever gotten before. And that one is often said with, Maybe a fake sort of smile. And it's a true statement, because you look at what they just gave you. I've never received anything like that before, right? Well, in verses 22 through 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I used, I hope, a sanctified imagination in sort of pondering some of this. How did Christmas Day feel to God? Imagine for a moment becoming a baby again. Jesus was never a baby to begin with. He was never created. But imagine becoming, if you, if you could go back, becoming a baby again. Giving up language and muscle coordination and the ability to eat solid food and to control your bladder and you can't feed yourself. You can't do any of that. Imagine having to go back to that. It's, it's pointless to, to try to think about how this must have been for God to take on being a baby. It's because we only see it from a reference point of, of a, a, a created thing going to a created thing. But the reality is God was never created. He's the creator. So it's, it's a pointless exercise for us to try to imagine a, a created thing to go to a created thing when he's not created. It's, he's infinitely greater than us. But can you imagine God as a fetus? God in the womb of a, of a young girl. Receiving life through an umbilical cord. And think about that. It's an amazing thing. We can't really wrap our minds around it because we are created and He is not. That illustration breaks down pretty quickly. But I want you to, to think about the fact that they had waited for the Messiah, but they had no idea He would actually be God. All those years, from Genesis 3.15 on, looking forward to finally one day the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And all through the years, they thought, this must be it, this must be it, this must be him. They never imagined, though, that he would be God. 
Jesus is like nothing we have ever received before. Again, this Christmas with what my family and I are going through, I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for Emmanuel. You know, I'm often on the other side of this. I'm often on the side where I'm walking into a hospital room to be there for a family, to pray with, to comfort, to try to counsel in some way. But I haven't had a lot of tragedy in my life. I thank God for that. I don't wish for more. Nobody would wish for more. But, but now, being able to experience tragedy and live it out in front of you, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a church that loves one another and loves the Lord. I'm thankful for so many of you, but more than that, I'm thankful for a God who came near, who didn't just come near in the form of a baby and then leave, but he came to be with us, to be near to us. As I thought about this, I thought one verse just came to my mind, Hebrews chapter 4, and I don't mean came in like some just supernatural way. I think the Spirit has directed me to this verse. This verse has meant a lot to me through the years, but... But now it really has really brought new meaning. Hebrews four fourteen through 16 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm so glad that I can draw near to the throne of grace. I so appreciate Ray this morning, Ray's heart, and coming to me and, and wanting to offer himself to me in any way that, that he could serve me. And and he, and he does understand. He understands that right now there's some anger in me. Um, there's some anger because I don't know who did this. And like any brother or like any parent, if someone does this to your sibling or, or, or to your child, there's a little bit of anger that's there. And I'm tempted just like any, any man. But I thank God that I don't have to go through that on my own, but that Jesus came Near and he lived a life so that he understands what it's like to be angry in such a way. Now, my anger could take the form of an unrighteous anger. His never did. But he still understands the temptation. He still understands the loss, the hurt that is there. I thank God that I can draw near and find everything that I need there. Jesus is like nothing we have ever gotten before. The last thing that you might hear is um, someone opens a gift and they say, and this is when they really are at a loss, they say, I, I don't know what to say. In verses 1 through 12 of chapter 2, we read of the visit of the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. 
by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star, the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the, the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. People will open gifts and they will say, I don't know what to say. Well, it brings to mind that when it comes to Jesus and the the offering of Jesus, there are many who will have different reactions as well. I don't know what to say. We see in this, these few verses that I just read to you some typical responses to Jesus. We see the response of, um, of, of King Herod here who hates it. You see the, the response of these, the wise men here, and they are overjoyed. See, when, when people open up gifts around the tree this year, they will have typical, typical responses to the gifts. They will hate it, but they will pretend to like it. Some will be unsure about it. Some will love it. And there have always been these, these responses to Jesus. Some people will be hostile toward Jesus like Herod was. He's a threat to their kingdom. He's a threat to their way of life. And they will react violently to him. When you share your faith this Christmas season, don't expect everyone to to jump for joy at the news that they hear. Oh, it's good news. But they may not see it as good news. They may be threatened by it. There will be those who will be indifferent to the news of Jesus. You will gather with family. One of the things I used to hate to do with my family, and it wasn't at Christmas, it was at Thanksgiving, I used to hate for my grandfather to say, okay, now everybody circle up. We're going to all go around and tell something we're thankful for. I used to hate that as a kid. I mean, I used to hate that. Um, to look around then, and I hated it, but I would say, my family. <laughs> you know? You will, you will encounter people in your own homes, in your own neighborhoods, at your work. You will try to tell, tell them about Jesus and the greatest gift that has ever been given, and they will be indifferent. They will be indifferent like this, the chief priests and the scribes here in this passage we just read. But don't ever stop sharing. Don't ever stop telling because everywhere you tell the gospel, we trust that there will also be those who are like those wise men who will see the star and they will see him there and they will rejoice and they will worship him. See, it's not up to us to convince someone he's a great gift. If a gift is a great gift, it's a great gift. It's up to us to share the gift. Oh, he's given himself to us. But he also has blessed us. Psalm 67 talks about that he has blessed us. He has made his face to shine upon us so that we might go to the nations. 
so that the nations might turn from their sadness and their sickness and their gloom, and they might turn and they might be glad in the Lord. See, there are some this season, and i got to quit, but there are some this season who think, who believe without Christ that they're happy, but they don't know what joy is. Jesus is the greatest gift ever. Ever. In just a minute, we're going to come and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And if you're, if you're new with us here, it may be a little different than maybe something you've seen, but uh, those who are members of this church, who are, who are believers who've been saved from their sin by this gift of Jesus, in just a minute, they will begin to come and they will gather around this table one by one or with family or with Sunday school classes or people on their row or sometimes just joining in with one another that they, maybe they don't know all that well but joining in around this table and they will do this and to, to do a couple different things. They will do this to, number one, remember that he didn't stay in the manger but he went to the cross. That when they take that bread and then when they take that juice it is a reminder to them that he sacrificed his body and he gave his blood for them and they are remembering and preaching that sermon to themselves and to you but they're also going to in doing this look forward to the fact that just as he came once at Christmas that there's coming a day when he will also come again that he will come again and he will right every wrong he will put away all wickedness and all sin And in that day, all who have ever believed in him will be ushered into his presence to live with him forever. But also in that day, those who have rejected him and not believed will not simply be sent away into heaven number two. They will be cast away from his presence in a place called hell forever. And so when you see today, when we celebrate today as a, as a faith family coming and remembering and looking forward to, I want you to do this with all seriousness, with all reverence. I want you to, I want you to remember the joy that he brings. To celebrate it, to take it. To not go through the motions and simply go through and I got the bread, I got the juice, put my little cup in the trash bin and go around and take my seat again. I want you to, to, to pause and to think about the gift that you have been given in the gospel. To receive it. If you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord, you've never received the gospel, you've never had him save you from your sin, then today, while this is going on, people are moving around, I'm going to be seated right down here on the front. And I would love for you to come and talk to me. In doing so, you're not coming to me for me to forgive you of your sins because I can't do it. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved than Jesus alone. He is exclusive. There is no other way to God. You can't be made right in any other name. Jesus, faith in him alone. But if you would come, I would love to begin that conversation to, to talk to you about how you can indeed trust Him as Savior. There will be people in the prayer room. Be out those doors. They'd love to pray with you. These steps are open as sort of a symbolic altar here if you'd like to come and kneel and pray. 
whatever the case may be, when I pray and Ethan comes, let's celebrate Christmas in the Lord's Supper and in all the ways that he's called us to follow him. As you line up in these aisles, you can line up, but please don't use it as a time to to talk about the bowl games that are coming up or what you're hoping somebody gives you for Christmas or those sort of things. I want you to take this reverently. You can come on both sides of the table. If there's somebody here that that can't get to the table, just kind of raise your hand, and we've got men that will be glad to come and serve you. We don't do this to exclude anyone. We want you to be able to participate as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let me pray. Nathan, you come and start us off. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that you are that you are the one who came near, that you are Emmanuel, that, that we don't walk through this life and go through what we go through alone, that you have come to be with us. But you didn't come just to know what we go through and to be with us, but God, you came to pay for the sins of all who would ever believe. God, we thank you for that. Lord, this morning I pray, God, that you would move in our midst. God, that you would bring today the greatest gift home to those who are here that you might indeed today be received by faith. Lord, glorify yourself, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.